Somebody lift your worship tonight. He's here in our midst. He's here to take all the praise. He's here to inhabit the praise of his people. He's here to inhabit your worship. I'm so coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it when it's all 
Shalom, 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 shalom. Shalom, evening people of God. Shalom, evening church. 
Please, I believe you are all doing well. Glory to Jesus, glory to Jesus, glory to Jesus. I thank God for your lives. By the special grace of God, myself and my family, we are doing well. The Lord bless you and keep all of you strong. In Jesus' precious mighty name, amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, share the link. Share the link to your friends and loved ones and invite them to this evening's prophetic training service. Share the link. Share the link. Share the link. Hallelujah. All right. It's a blessing to have all of you here this evening. And I thank God for your lives. Before we go into the word of God, let's take a quick word of prayer. Before we go into God's word, let's take a quick word of prayer. We are praying. Mighty God, we thank you. We give you praise for this evening. We thank you for what you have done for us. We exalt you for this wonderful opportunity, even that we come before your everlasting presence. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that your spirit will help us with understanding. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus, Open the eyes of our understanding. Let there be a release of an uncommon power of your spirit, even upon our lives. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus, grant us grace, even to be enlightened by your spirit. Now we pray, O oh God, if there is anything we have learned that is not in line with the truth, help us to unlearn so that we can relearn the new things you have purposed for us. Let not our souls fight the new things we hear, but then help us with humility, even to understand that which you have set ahead of us, that your name alone will forever be glorified. We thank you, even in Jesus' precious mighty name. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you all. God bless you all. Amen. By the special grace of God, I think for like two months now, or maybe a month and some 
like two weeks, we have begun a certain series in church, which is introduction to eschatology, what is actually dealing with matters of the end times. Hallelujah. I believe that we all as believers, as Christians, one way or the other, we have heard certain things concerning end times. I believe even if you don't know much, you have actually heard something. That there is something called the end times. There is something called the end. Good. And one of the things we need to understand is that it is one of our greatest responsibilities to understand what God has already revealed to us. Are you listening to me? There are certain secrets in God that he has already revealed them to us through his scriptures. So if you don't know that dimension of God, it does not mean God has not revealed it. What it means is that you have not studied Hallelujah. And there are many people who don't want to study. And then they just come out with a new philosophy. That, you know, God is keeping some things to himself. Meanwhile, some of the things you're actually seeing that God is keeping to himself, he has already revealed them to us through the scriptures. So we need to understand some of these basic things. Jerry, how are you? Wow, it's been a long time. I believe you are doing well. Wow, we thank God. We thank God. How was life in Canada? And have you visited the United States of America too? Looking at the way Canada and the US are a bit close at certain borders. You have visited the US. Wow, that's amazing. Two days ago, wow, we thank God, we thank God, we thank God. May the Lord prosper you over there. Oh, you'll be moving from Canada to California. That's great. That's great. That's great. May the Lord cause it to happen according to his word. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. All right. The Lord bless all of us. So, talking about the matters of the end times. Now, we have actually um, treated some few topics with regards to the end times. Gloria, how are you? It's been a long time. I believe everything is fine. My regards to Apostle and the prophetess that the Lord has blessed us with. God bless you. Hallelujah. Wow. I thank God for your life. I'm doing well by the special grace of God with the entire family. The Lord is helping us. God bless you. 
Hallelujah. All right. So, people of God, whenever you hear end times, what actually comes to your mind? I want everybody to feel free. Uh, anything that comes to your mind whenever you hear end times, end times. Somebody said the end of the world. Okay. Somebody also says rapture. Okay. Somebody says judgment day. Okay. You too, what comes to your mind when you hear end times? Someone said the end of something. Okay. Okay. Jerry said the season from when Jesus died till when he will come again. Amazing. Somebody says the second coming of Christ. Okay. Salem said the end of this world. Gloria says the season preceding Christ's coming. Opoku Cassandra says, the end of the age. I love that. Mamina Cruz says, the, the world coming to an end. I see. I see. Amazing. Somebody says, the coming of Jesus Christ. That is great. That is great. It is good that um, we all have actually heard something about the end times it could be that we don't really have in-depth knowledge and understanding about what we have actually heard concerning the end times but then we need to actually go into the depth of this matter are you listening to me It is because God is a dimension that loves to settle the end of a matter before he begins it. That is how God works. He would have to know the end of a matter before he begins it. And the reason why he does that is because in the whole plan of God in creation, he actually made creation for a certain point known as glory. Are you following? God made all things for his own glory. And when you go into the dimensions of glory, glory actually speaks of the revelation of God, revealing God. The, the revealing of God is God's glory. But then glory is in dimensions. It is in levels. So in fact, when you talk about God, everything 
about God, when we put everything about God together, it must be glory. Are you getting the point? This is the reason why in the wisdom of God, the end of all things is actually supposed to be glorious. So God has set glory to actually be the end of everything. So whenever God wants to begin a thing and he realizes that the end will not be glorious, he will not even start it. So the reason why God starts something is because he has already seen and he knows that the end will glorify him. So when you read the book of Isaiah chapter 43 verse 7, Isaiah chapter 43 verse 7, the Bible says that even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. So God has actually created us for his glory. Are you following? Good. We'll go into all those things later. But then I want you to understand one thing. So a songwriter wrote a song and he said, Our end is the glory of the Lord. Our end is the glory of the Lord. At the end of all things, the only thing that should be is God glorified. Glory is actually the end of all things to God. Are you following? So in the book of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, the Bible said, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. I wish I could say something here. There is something that is about to happen to this earth. And that which is about to happen to this earth at the end is that the glory of God will actually, the knowledge of God's glory will cover the entire earth as waters cover the sea. Hallelujah. Good. So, as we are here right now, what we are actually waiting for, according to the latter plan of God, is that the knowledge of his glory will fill the whole earth. We'll come to that. But I'm just trying to let you know that the end of all things should be to the glory of God. Are you listening to me? And I want to give you a certain verse of scripture that should give you an idea 
of what is about to happen at the at the last moment it the book of Ephesians chapter 2 Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10. Ephesians 1 10. Ephesians 1 verse 10. The Bible said that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth even in him. that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth even in him what it means is that when all the times when all the ages of this world come to its fullness what God will do is that he will gather all things back into Christ because God used Christ to make all things. Are you listening to me? Good. So just put that at the back of your mind. There is something glorious that is ahead. So when I ask the question, what you hear, when you hear the word end times, what comes to your mind? Some people said rapture. Somebody said judgment day. Somebody said the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are all beautiful things. But then, there is something I want all of us to understand. When it comes to matters of doctrine, so that you will not just read books. Are you, are you listening to me? Because you see, it will shock you to know that one of the main reasons why we have a lot of denominations in Christianity and that all these denominations are saying different things is because of different understanding of the doctrines of Christ. And the thing is, it doesn't matter your knowledge, that you, the knowledge you have concerning some of the doctrines in, in the Christendom, you actually borrowed it from somewhere. Are you listening to me? This is the reason why you now need to know whether where you borrowed the thing from is wrong or right. How do you do that? It is when you decide to sit down with the scriptures 
and you allow the Holy Spirit to help you. Now, you see, whenever you want to find a truth in the Word of God, you need time. You don't just read one verse within two minutes and you just get up and form a doctrine out of it. No. If you want to actually know a doctrine and know the truth that is in it, you need time. You need to go to history. Go and study historical background of that which you want to know. You need to also allow the Holy Ghost to brood over you. You need to approach certain verses without any preconceived understanding. Because many of us, that's our problem. We heard something somewhere. So whenever we are reading the scriptures, we are already having this, a certain understanding as the foundation. So we try to let the scriptures we are reading fit into what we think we understand. And that's one of the reasons why many of us can't catch the truth. Someone said, how do you know the historical background? In what we, oh, that, we have a lot of historical records over there. Hmm? There are people who, who have written things about, how did we know that Dr. Kwame Nkrumah was the first prime minister of Ghana? It has been written down. Social studies, we learned it. Are, are you getting my point? So if only you want to know, you go and search for it, you will know. Because sometimes, when it comes to the matter of doctrines, if you don't know history, you will miss a lot of things. I'm telling you the truth. Are you following? So you need enough time to have understanding into some of these things. Else you will end up mixing a lot of things and you will be troubled. May the Lord grant us grace and help us even with the spirit of understanding, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of revelation and the spirit of wisdom. In Jesus' precious mighty name, amen. Good. Now listen to me carefully. We have laid a lot of foundations concerning eschatology. How there are three main pillars of eschatology. We have personal eschatology that deals with, when we say eschatology, we are talking about studies of the end times. Are you getting it? Studying the end times. That's what eschatology is about. But then I told us that we have three main pillars in eschatology. The moment we hear the matters of the end times, it is either we are talking about how men are going to end, how what we call the world will also end. Are you getting it? Mostly that is what we, we, we have heard and that is what we know. But then when you go into the scriptures technically, you will realize that there are more to it. So, in the studies of the end times, we first need to understand what we call personal eschatology, which deals with the end of the souls of men. 
the end of the souls of men. So when a human being dies, where will the soul of that human being go? So that part is also one of the key points in eschatology. We need to learn that. And then is it just any human being who will go to just any place? No. We have, according to the word of God, we have believers and unbelievers. Are you listening to me? So we, are, we have all been categorized into two main groups in this world. Believers and unbelievers. Believers of what? Believers of Christ. So now, when a believer dies, there is where the soul of the believer will go. And when an unbeliever dies, there is where the soul of the unbeliever will also go. Are you getting it? Good. That is what we, we call the end of the souls of men. And it is under the umbrella of the topic personal eschatology. Then we have what we call covenantal eschatology. Covenantal eschatology. Now we all know that throughout the entire Bible, we see God working with people based on covenant. Is that not so? God established a covenant between himself and Noah. God established a covenant between himself and Abraham. God established a covenant between himself and Moses. God established a covenant between himself and David. Then God established a covenant between himself and his only begotten son. So there are five main covenants in the entire Bible. Five main. There are other covenants. But the main covenant that the Bible actually speaks of, we have five. The Noahic covenant, the covenant between God and Noah. The Abrahamic covenant, the covenant between Abraham and God. The Mosaic covenant, the covenant between God and Moses. The Davidic covenant, the covenant between God and David. Then we have what we call the new covenant or the everlasting covenant. The covenant between God the Father and God the Son. Are you following? Good. Now, these all these are covenants that God has established. And we see them clearly in the Bible. But then, at a certain point in time, we realize that some of the covenants will end for a new covenant to begin. And the latter part or the latter days of the ending of one of the covenants is called a covenantal eschatology. So when we read throughout our Bible, we realize that a certain covenant was, a certain covenant ended and a new covenant was created. So when we read the book of Je Jeremiah 31 verse 31, it is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. And he said, Jeremiah 31, 31, he said, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, 
that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Verse 32, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, says the Lord. Now, if you look at these two verses, you realize that God is talking about a certain new covenant he's about to make. And he said he's going to make this new covenant with Israel. He said he's going to make this new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Then God said, this new covenant I'm going to make with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, it is not going to be like the covenant that I established with their fathers. And he explained that covenant, how and when that covenant was created. He said that covenant he established with himself and their fathers, he established that covenant when he was taking them from Egypt to the promised land. And the moment you hear that, which covenant comes to your mind? Hmm? The moment you hear that, which covenant comes to your mind? Which covenant did God establish with the fathers of Israel when they were moving from Egypt to the land of promise? It is called the Mosaic Covenant. The covenant that God established between himself and Moses when he called Moses into the mountain and gave him two tablets of stones with laws written on it that he should go and deliver it to the people. It is called the Mosaic Covenant. In fact, throughout the scriptures, it is also known as the Old Covenant. Are you following? Oh, are you following? Good. Now, so throughout the entire scripture, a certain covenant came to an end. And a new covenant was created. So now God is telling us that he's going to establish a new covenant. It will not be like the one that he established with Moses on Mount Sinai. But he's going to start a new one. And why is it that God already has a covenant with the, the Israelites and he's now going to create a new one? Why is it that he's doing this new covenant? Why? Why is it that God is not following the old one? Then Paul will now tell us in the book of Hebrews chapter 8 verse 7 and 8. Hebrews 8. Verse 7 and 8. We are now listening to why God decided to create a new covenant. Hebrews 8, verse 7 and 8. Now, this is the TPT. He says, For if the first covenant had been faultless, that is, if it had no fault, no one would have needed a second one to replace it. Are you getting it here? 
but God revealed the defect and limitation of the first when he said to his people, Look, the day will come, declares the Lord, when I will satisfy the people of Israel and Judah by giving them a new covenant. Is it not the prophecy that Jeremiah gave in Jeremiah 31-31 that Paul is explaining to us here? So Paul is telling us that if the old covenant had no fault, there wouldn't have been any reason why we would need a new one. So the old covenant had, had a fault. So God is now replacing it with a new one. This is what the message says. That if the first plan, the old covenant, had worked out, <laughs> a second wouldn't have been needed. That means the old one didn't even work out. Are you following? The other time when we were talking about Abraham and all those kind of things, we explained why the old covenant didn't work. Because it was not born out of the original purpose of God. It was born because of the unbelief of the people. We got to know Abraham believed God and was accounted unto him as righteousness. But then the people, instead of the Israelites believing God, they doubted God. And because of their unbelief, a different covenant came forth. And this different covenant was to reveal their limitation. That you just needed to believe in me. And that will be all. You will get whatever I have purpose for you. Now you don't believe. And you think you can do any other thing to receive something from me. Fine, then I'm establishing this covenant with you. So the old covenant was to actually reveal the limitations and the weaknesses of the people. That is why there was nobody that could become righteous by the law. So Paul told us that if following the law could make someone righteous, then Jesus Christ is dead in vain. Because it is through our faith in the resurrection of Jesus that God declares us justified and righteous. And that is what we call the new covenant. So the old covenant would never bring anybody to righteousness. And if no one is righteous, there is no way anybody can receive anything from God from his very own heart. Are you following? So now Paul is telling us that there was a certain fault with the old covenant. It did not work. Because its main agenda was to reveal the weaknesses of the people. So that the people will now surrender and say, Lord, we have been trying, but it's not working. Help us. Then God will say, now come to the place that I've originally ordained for you. Just have faith in me. That is all. So that when God realized that the old covenant couldn't work, so the message says, if the first plan, the old covenant, had worked out, a second wouldn't have been needed. But we know the first was found wanting because God said, Heads up, the days are coming when I will set up a new plan for dealing with Israel and Judah. So God said he's going to set a new covenant. It will not be like the old covenant which didn't work. And how would the new covenant be made?
Now let's continue from verse 9 of Hebrews 8, verse 9. He said, It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors at the time when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, just as Jeremiah prophesied, because they did not remain loyal to my covenant. The King James says, Because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, says the Lord. Then he said in verse 10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Now he's now about to tell us the details of the new covenant he's about to make with the house of Israel. He said, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their, into their minds. Now, in the old covenant, the laws of God were written on two tablets of stone. But in the new one, God said he will write his laws in the, in the minds and in the hearts of the people. Are you following? Then he said, and I will, be, I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. So this time around, you will not need any priest to come and stand and read the Ten Commandments to you. Because God has already written it in your mind and in your heart. And how is God going to write it in the mind and in the heart? We'll come to that. Now he said, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor. And every man, look at that. Did you, did you hear that? So, in the old covenant, somebody would now have to come and read the old covenant, come and read the entire um, Ten Commandments, and the person will now explain it to, to us. But this time around, God said, We are not going to get anybody to come and read anything and teach us how to follow Ten Commandments. But because of the new covenant, He will write it in our minds and in our hearts so that you will know what is good and what is not good. He said, And every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Then this new covenant must be powerful. Then when you read verse 2, he's now giving us the details of the new covenant he's about to establish with Israel. Now, verse 12, he said, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. <laughs> hey, let me read this one from the ISV. So in the new covenant verse, the Bible, God says that I will be merciful regarding their wrong deeds. And I will never again remember their sins. Did you read, did you read, did you hear that? said, I will never again remember their sins. God knew what he was saying. Are you listening to me? God knew what he was saying. When he said, I will never again remember their sins. Verse 13, he says, In speaking of a new covenant, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. <laughs> the King James says, 
By coming up with a new plan, a new covenant between God and his people, God put the old plan on the shelf. And there it stays, gathering dust. <laughs> hey, message. Oh my goodness. Please, are you all with me? Good. Now the King James says, in that he said a new covenant he has made with with he has made. Said, in that he said a new covenant he has made the first old. So the first covenant God has made made it old. And he said, now that which is which has decayed and is and waxed old is ready to vanish away. As at the time Paul was writing the book of Hebrews, he said, God has already made the old covenant obsolete. The message says, and it is gathering dust in futuro bohm. What will God do to it? Then he said, That which decays and waxed old is ready to vanish away. Another version says, Disappear. That means that at that time, the old covenant had already been declared old, it was not in use. But it was not going to be at that state, it will vanish away. Are you listening to me? Good. Now, the old covenant was known as the law. How was the old covenant or the law going to vanish? The gift of tongues. How was it going to vanish? The spirit of the Lord came upon you. The Holy Ghost sent from heaven. Now, we need to Learn what Jesus said. Okay, we need to know how the old covenant or the law was going to vanish. In the book of Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to destroy the law. Now you see, we all read that the law, God has made it old and that it is no more in use and that God is starting a new one. Then he even gave us the details of the new one, how that instead of the law being written on tablets where somebody will now read it to us, 
This time around, he's writing it in our minds and in our hearts, and nobody will teach us to know God, but because of the law of God in our hearts, we will know God. Then he said, The old covenant, which is no more in use, is soon to vanish away. It will soon disappear. And we are now asking how it is going to disappear. Now this is Jesus coming and he said, Don't think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. He said, I have not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. So the way that the old covenant of the law vanished was through its fulfillment in Christ. Not its destruction. I don't know if I'm getting the point here. Because if Jesus wants to establish a new covenant, then he must fulfill the old first and put it aside. Then the new one will begin. So when Jesus came to the earth, one of his assignments also was to fulfill the old covenant or the law so that through his death and resurrection, he will establish the new covenant. Now my question is simple. What? My question is simple. Has the old covenant or the law been fulfilled? Has it, been, has it been fulfilled? Okay. I will ask you what, what shows that it has been fulfilled. But then let us read the next verse. Matthew 5 verse 18. And let's listen to what Jesus said. Then we will know whether it has been fulfilled or not. Matthew 5 18. He said, For verily I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass, one jot or one title shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Hmm. Reading it from the ISV, he said, Because I tell all of you with certainty that until heaven and earth disappear, not one letter or one stroke of a letter will disappear from the law until everything has been accomplished. <laughs> so that the question is simple. Jesus said, if heaven and earth has not disappeared, then the law has not been fulfilled. That's what he's trying to say. Okay, let's read the Message Bible. He says, God's law is more real and lasting than the stars in the sky and the ground at your feet. Long after stars burn out and earth wears out, God's law will be alive and working. Hey, <laughs> message. Hallelujah. Now, in this context, I want to ask you this question. Jesus said, until heaven and earth pass away, not even one jot of the law will, be, will disappear until everything is fulfilled. What he's trying to say is that every bit of the law must be fulfilled. 
every bit of it. But then, the fulfillment of the law is linked to the disappearing of heaven and earth. So if heaven and earth has not disappeared, then the law has not been fulfilled. Now my question is simple. Has the law been fulfilled? <laughs> oh, answers in a has the old covenant the law been fulfilled I see I have two yes two no we are 106 here okay some are saying no okay some are saying yes it has been fulfilled I see I see let us not forget what Jesus said. That is the point I want us to address. Jesus said the fulfillment of the law is in synchronicity with the disappearing of heaven and earth. So if you claim that the law has been fulfilled, then one sign that should let you know that the law has been fulfilled is that heaven and earth will disappear. Is that not so? Good. So now, the question again. Has the law been fulfilled? <laughs> now you see, okay. Let's, let's listen to what Jesus said. Jerry said, the question is, which law? Okay. <laughs> now listen. In verse 17, Jesus made this simple. He said, Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. Now, when you take your Bible hmm, from Genesis to Malachi, is known as the Tanakh. Are you following? The Tanakh in Hebrew, that is what it is called. Because in the Old Testament, that was the only thing they had. They didn't have Matthew and all those kind of things. No. They had from Genesis to Malachi. It was known as the Tanakh. And the Tanakh is made up of sections. First, we have what we call the Pentateuch, which is also known as the Torah, the first five books of Moses. Are you getting it? Good. Then we have what we call the prophets. What the prophets wrote down. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and, um, Habakkuk, Nahum, Jesse, all the prophets. Then we also have what we call the Ketuvim. The Ketuvim speaks of the writings like Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Songs of Solomon. Are you getting it? When we put all these together, we call it the Tanakh. But then, it is actually categorized into two main parts, which is the law and the prophets. The law 
and the prophets. And when you hear the word law, Moses is actually in symbolism to the law. That is the reason why in the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Bible makes mention of two witnesses. We'll talk about all these into details. Two witnesses. When Jesus was about to be transfigured, Moses and Elijah appeared to him on the mountain, on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17. Then Peter, James, and John saw and said, wow, it is good that we are here. Let's build tents, one for Moses, one for this. Then we should stay here. Because the moment they appeared, the Bible said, they came to discuss about the exodus, the departure of Jesus, the death of Jesus. They came to discuss it with Jesus. Why Moses and Elijah? Because these are known as the two witnesses. One stands for the law, which is Moses. And one stands for the prophets. So the whole Old Testament Bible or the Tanakh is actually comprised of two major parts, which is the law and the prophets. Are you, are you getting the point? Now when you begin to read, when you read the book of, I think, Matthew 24, or I think Mark 24 rather, when Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples, Cleopas and the other one. The Bible said, Jesus told them that I have come. Don't you know that I have come? I am the one who has come to fulfill all that the law and the prophets said concerning me. Let me check if it is, I want to get you the, the, the scripture. I think it is Luke. Luke 24. These two disciples of Jesus were on the way to a miles. When we read Luke 24, verse 13 downwards, the Bible said, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. Let me read it from the ISV. He says, They were talking with each other about all these things that had taken place, about the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was what they were talking about whilst they were on their way to Emmaus. Now, verse 15, he says, while they were discussing and analyzing what had happened, Jesus himself approached and began to walk with them. So Jesus was walking with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. So Jesus was walking with them, but they didn't know it was Jesus. Verse 17. Jesus asked them, What are you discussing with each other as you are walking along? They stood still and looked gloomy. Then one who was named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know what happened there in the past few days? <laughs> Look at this guy. Telling Jesus that you, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem? So you don't even know about what has happened. <laughs> Thinking when you're, when you're info and the other guy doesn't know. <laughs> and they didn't know. That the one that they think they have info and they want to use it to, you know, show their authority 
is actually the one they are discussing. Then verse 19, he said, he asked them, what things? What are some of the things that happened recently in Jerusalem that I don't know? Hey, Jesus. said, so they answered him, the event involving Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in what he said and did before God and all the people, and how our high priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and had him crucified. But we kept hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel. What is more, this is now the third day since these things occurred. Even some of our women have startled us by what they told us. They were at the tomb early this morning and didn't find his body there. So they came back and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who were saying that he was alive. Then some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said. However, they didn't see him. Verse 25, then Jesus told them, Oh, how foolish you are. Oh, how foolish you are. What can something to you when you don't you know I am the one you are talking about? Oh, how foolish you are. There is one part I love after saying that they were foolish. He said, how slow you are to believe. The King James says, you slow of heart. Very important part, slowness of heart. They are slow to believe. He said, how slow you are to believe everything the prophets said. Verse 26, the Messiah had to suffer these things and then enter his glory, didn't he? Verse 27, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them all the passages of scripture about himself. Let's take verse 27 again in the King James. He says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What is Jesus trying to say? He's trying to say that all that the law and the prophets said were about me. Are you, are you following now? Good. So the law is about Jesus. What the prophets also said is about Jesus. Now Jesus said he has come to fulfill the law. And in the fulfillment of the law, he made the pronouncement that until heaven and earth pass away, not even one jot of the law will disappear till they are all fulfilled. And my question is simple. If Jesus came to fulfill the law, has he fulfilled the law? And Jerry asked, which law? So I've explained it into details for you to know now what the law is. We are talking about the Mosaic Covenant. <laughs> some people said yes, some people say not yet. Okay, if the law has been fulfilled, then that means heaven and earth has passed away. Is that not so? Okay, so my question is now simple. Those of you who are still saying, yes, heaven and earth has passed away. How did the heaven and earth pass? 
How did the heaven and earth pass? I've taught this thing before. Somebody said, then daddy, it means heaven and earth there can mean a system of governance. So if you continue for me, you are trying to say something, continue. Someone said, Papa, please, I think it's the temple. Okay. So according to Kabna loyalty, the temple is actually the heaven and earth that Jesus was talking about. And according to Israba, the heaven and earth is actually a system of governance that Jesus was talking about. What do you also say? What are you also saying? Covered Abashaya. You see? You see, we are quiet. Every day we go to church, then we are shouting. Take my glory ha, in life. Oh, I take my destiny. Ha, ha, then you are shouting, jumping here. And you see the way you are quiet? You see the way you are quiet? Simple verse. You are, you are struggling. Simple scripture. When you are walking about wearing big, big suits. Great man of God. <laughs> Somebody said, and it is your today. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay. All right. Hmm. We are just talking about covenantal eschatology. And we are trying to get to know this. Because most of the verses that we read, they are actually either about personal eschatology that is talking about where the souls of men will go when they die then what happened to the old covenant because the bible told us that god found a fault with the old covenant and because of that god had to lock it somewhere and it was it was having a few moments for it to disappear so i want to know so those few moments that God said it will soon disappear, are you still telling me that till date it has not yet disappeared? And we're going to know how it was going to disappear. And it will be disappeared through the fulfillment 
of what Jesus will do to it. So the question is, didn't Jesus do what he was supposed to do? Didn't he fulfill the law? Can I say something here? Can I, can I open your eyes on something? I want you to know something that you wouldn't have ever been able to receive if Jesus had not fulfilled the law. It is called righteousness. Let's first read something from the book of Romans 3 verse 10. Romans chapter 3 verse 10, the Bible said, As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none righteous. No, not one. But then, there is another verse of scripture in the book of Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. Galatians 2, 21. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Galatian church. He said, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, listen to it carefully. If following the old covenant of the law will make you righteous, then Jesus Christ is dead in vain. The ISV says, I do not misapply God's grace. For if righteousness comes by doing what the law requires, then the Messiah died for nothing. What it means is that it was through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we were able to receive the gift of righteousness. Is that not so? Now I want to ask you a question. Are you righteous? <laughs> Yay. Some of your foundation in Christianity is bad. You need to go back to Sunday school. I don't know what they taught you. I'm telling you, this is the reason many of us cannot, uh, we are not growing. No. Foundation, the foundation is poor. Very poor. What I'm talking to you about, we are, we are just dealing with foundational doctrines in Christ. At this stage, at this stage of your life, you don't know whether you are righteous or not. Hey!
Hallelujah. All right. I think many of you have gone through some scriptures here. I can see that. That's great.
Okay. So now, as a Christian, are you righteous? Things that my own word drew. The cobay do be as yes, my own word drumper. That's the reason of me, dear as a Christian, are you righteous? And Paul made it clear that you are righteous not because you followed. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not this. Thou shalt not this. That, that's not what you followed that made you righteous. You were made righteous just because you believed in Jesus Christ. Are you listening to me? And it is one of the signs that prove that Jesus has already begun the new covenant. Because it is in the new covenant that God does not remember the sins of his people. Are you listening to me? So now, based on this, has the law been fulfilled by Jesus or not? It has. And if it has, then what it means is that heaven and earth has passed away. And if heaven and earth has passed away, then that should let you know that the heaven and earth that Jesus made mention of is not the literal heaven and earth we think we know. Are you listening to me? So what then is the, why is it that the, the passing away, the fulfillment of the law is linked to a certain heaven and earth? There must be a certain link between the law and that heaven and earth. I don't forget my point. It's like trying to say, you cannot until the waters or until the water in the kettle is poured out, there is no way the kettle will be empty. Doesn't it make sense? So the moment you get to know that the kettle is empty, then what it means is that the water that was in it has been poured out. It is the same way. So definitely there will be a link between the water and the kettle. So there is a, a link between the law and the heaven and earth. The problem we have is that we, we take things so literal and we just replace, we, we use our own literal understanding and knowledge of heaven and earth to mean the heaven where God and his angels are and the earth where we are dwelling. And that's, that's one of the biggest problems that we also have in the body of Christ 
Are you following? That's why till date, you go to certain churches, they they, they, will, go, they will recite the Ten Commandments. Now the question is, are they living in, are they Christians at all? Are they living in the New Covenant or the Old Covenant? Is it, listen to what the Bible says. It says, nobody will now teach us to know the law of God and to know God because it will be written in our hearts. Are you following? Good. So what then is the heaven and earth that passed away? Have you ever heard this statement before? Your heavens have been opened. Have you, have, have you ever heard of that before? Now the question is simple. You, do you have a heaven? Hmm? Do you have a heaven? Have you created a heaven before? That your heaven is going to be opened. So if you have a heaven, then what kind of heaven is that? So you say your heavens are open, you shout, Amen. Meanwhile, you don't understand what the man of God is saying. May the Lord open your heaven, shout in, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And you don't know those, those heavens. No wonder we are only receiving little, little testimonies. I'm telling you. Hallelujah. So when somebody says your heavens have been opened, what heavens is the person talking about? He's actually talking about a certain system over your life that controls everything you see in your destiny. Are you you getting it? Now, do you know that Moses, when God took him into the mountain, God showed him a temple in heaven. And he told Moses to build the same temple. And this temple that God told Moses to come and build, he told Moses to build it according to the measurement he gave him. And in the building of the temple, the temple was divided into three sections. The first one is called the outer court. The second part is called the holy place or the inner court. And the third one is called the most holy place. Now, the outer court is just like when you enter into somebody's house with a fence wall. You first, when you enter straight through the gate, you will now appear at the compound. Is that not so? Good. But then at the compound, when it rains, it will ship you. 
when the sun is shining you will feel the, the heat the source of light to your eyes in the compound is is the sun is that not so but then the moment you enter into the the inner chamber of the house the source of light you have will no longer be the sun again it will be the bulbs or the lighting system in the person's room is that not so unless the person is actually found in his bedroom so the bedroom will be the the most holy place that is where the person dwells this is how the temple was built so god actually dwelt in the most holy place between the two cherubim who are on the ark of the covenant but then that it is a whole temple god told moses to build so in one temple there is a place in the temple where the sunlight is the source of light of the people there is another place where the menorah the seven candlesticks is the source of light and there is also another place where the shekinah glory of god is the only source of light one temple three divisions three sources of light are you following now the outer court or the place where the sun was their source of light was normally called the earth the earth and when you are at the outer court there were certain instruments we had what we called the brazen altar that was a very big altar where they used to do this burnt offering that is the place they will go and burn the sheep the lamb that they've killed the bulls very huge altar it is called the brazen altar and very close to the brazen altar was a basin of water and that basin of water had a name they called it the sea s e a sea to say apple and when the priest had finished no burning the lamb on the brazen altar they will now go and wash their hands in the sea or the basin of water then they can now go into the inner place or the holy place are you following so can't so when you go to the jewish history the outer court was known as the earth and that is the main reason why they call the basin of water the sea because there is a link between the earth and the sea and then the most holy place where the ark of the covenant dwells is actually called the heaven that is where they encounter god himself so what jesus was actually in fact when you even enter into the most holy place you will see the ark of the covenant and there were three things that god told them to put in the ark of the covenant the first one was the two tablets of stones that god gave to moses 
which he wrote the Ten Commandments on. So they put the two tablets of stone in the Ark of the Covenant. Then when God began to rain manna for the people, God told them to, f- to fetch some of the manna and put it in a bowl and put it in the Ark of the Covenant. Then the last one was the rod of Aaron that budded. Now we all know the stories behind them. So these were the three things that were in the Ark of the Covenant. And if the two tablets of stone actually represent the foundation of the law, then if the Ark of the Covenant is not totally destroyed, you will not say that the law has been fulfilled. Is that not so? So a time came where the entire building of the temple was destroyed. Jesus even prophesied about this in Matthew 24. He told the disciples that this temple they are seeing, not even one stone will be left on another. Everything will be destroyed. And in the year AD 70, the Roman Empire captured the whole Jerusalem, set fire in the temple, burnt everything. And that was actually the day the old covenant came to an end. Because Jesus had already fulfilled the requirements and the demands of the law. Are you following? So the passing away of heaven and earth, which Jesus spoke about, is actually the destruction of the temple. So what it means is that Jesus has fulfilled the old covenant and he has begun a new covenant. In fact, it is this new covenant that we all, as Christians, we are also in partnership with. Because God established this new covenant between himself as a father and himself as a son. And all we need to do is to believe in the son. So that what the father promised the son in the covenant, we can also be beneficiaries of the promise. Are you following? So when we speak of covenantal eschatology, we are actually talking about the last moment or the end times with regards to the covenant that is to be destroyed or fulfilled for a new covenant to be made. Are you, are you getting it? So there are certain verses of scripture when we read, don't push it into the future. It is linking to the passing away of the old covenant in the beginning of the new. So you need to be very circumspect in your, your reading. Are you following? Then, the last pillar is called cosmological eschatology or cosmic eschatology, which speaks of what will happen to the entire world of God. What will happen to the entire world of God at the end. Now, many of you believe that the world will be destroyed. Let us say, That's the reason why we are doing that. And I've already said it. If the earth melts 
into the form of shea butter. We will use it as balm of Gilead. The problem is this. The problem is this. Many of us don't understand apocalyptic languages. And that is one of the biggest problems we have when it comes to the interpretation of end time prophecies. Don't you know that there is a difference between a prophecy and a parable and a normal saying? Don't you know? I believe you know that there is a clear difference between a, a proverb, a parable, and a prophecy. You know they are not the same, right? So the understanding you would need from a proverb will be totally different from what you would need to access understanding from a prophecy. Because a prophecy is according to vision. It is actually by visions and revelations. And when we speak of visions, visions are in symbolisms. They are not literal languages. For example, when John saw a lamb that was in heaven and was sitting on the throne, who was he referring to? So I asked this question in church last Sunday and I want to ask the same question again. Listen to it carefully. Listen to the question carefully. Don't quickly jump to give me an answer. <laughs> you will be wrong. Listen to the question carefully. The question is simple. Is Jesus a lamb? <laughs> Listen to me carefully. Hmm? See, they make any Is Jesus a lamp? That's why I said, don't quickly jump to answer. Listen to the question carefully so that you will know what it means. <laughs> because many of you are confused, and in fact, we all used to be confused in this thing. Okay, let me ask another question that is also in the same line. Listen to me carefully Is the Holy Spirit a dove? You see, right, that one day you are saying no, 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 no. But when we spoke about Jesus being a lamb, you are saying yes, yes, yes. It is the same way. If you are saying the Holy Ghost is not a dove, 
then Jesus is not a lamb. But man of God, in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 29, when John was about to baptize Jesus, he said, Here cometh the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And when Jesus was coming, he was not a lamb that was coming. He was Jesus. That is why when John even made mention of the lamb, the people turned their necks and there was no lamb coming. They only saw a man called Jesus. So why is John calling him a lamb when he's a man? I don't know if you're understanding something here. The, the reason why many of us cannot understand end-time prophecies is these things. We take things literal as we saw it in the Bible. Be careful. If that, if that is what you are doing, you cannot be a prophet. <laughs> because one of the schools that God will take you through is symbolisms and your sharpness in the interpretation of symbols into reality is what makes you a strong prophet are you listening to me? you need to understand what Jesus symbolizes and who he is that the Holy Ghost descended on the shoulders of Jesus in the form of a dove does not mean the Holy Ghost is a dove. That Jesus became the Passover lamb so that through his death we all will receive remission of sins. Does not mean Jesus is a lamb. Are you getting my point? And we need to understand this one, else you'll be confused. Because when it comes to Jesus, eh, he's many things in the kingdom of God. Many things. And if you don't understand his roles and positions in all these dimensions, you will be, you will be deceived. Because this same Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God that we all belong to. This same Jesus is the son of God the Father. And one, when we believed in Jesus, God also made us sons. So in the realm of sonship, Jesus is actually your elder brother. But in the dimension of the kingdom as a whole, he is your king. And also in the dimension of the relationship between Jesus and the church, he is your husband. And we are his wife. I don't know if you're getting something here. So you need to know every dimension of Jesus and what he does. Amen. So there is a way you can relate with Jesus as your elder brother. You can talk to him like your elder brother. It's a different kind of relationship that the Holy Ghost will teach you. In intimacy. There is a different way you relate with him as a king. There is a way you relate with him as a husband. It's all dependent on what God wants to fulfill in your life at a certain point in time. 
Are you following? Somebody is saying something that he calls us his sheep, but we are not sheep. Exactly. He said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Are you a sheep? Right now, if I say, oh, sheep, my sheep, come, you insult me. Man of God, I say you. <laughs> you insult, some of you, you say, I for now, I'm a basso. Say, me, me, she, me, me, you die. Umuade. And so they be telling you, Oguama, Okumu. Do you know what Oguama is? Oguama means Ujain. <laughs> Many of you didn't know that. Eh? Eh, that's what it means. When you, you are standing before Jesus and you are saying, Oh, 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 lamb. Lamb no man is some way. Nasa I too honourable. I said this in church. But okay, sheep are nice. It's an insult from this. You see, if we don't understand some of these basic things, we will keep missing. That is why some churches, eh? Any church that fights against prophecy will find it very difficult to interpret end time prophecies. For example, when you go to a certain church like Church of Christ, I'll be mentioning the names of those churches. Don't be worried. Church of Christ, they said there are no prophets in Hadith. So anybody who says he's a prophet, is prophesying, mentioning things, that person is a false prophet. They don't believe in the prophetic anymore. Now, these kind of people will try to interpret prophecies in the Bible. You are not serious. Where are you going to get that spirit of, of understanding from? The same thing applies to Seventh-day Adventist Church. They don't believe in prophets. Don't believe in prophecy. But then they want to interpret Bible. Bible prophecies. So their interpretations are always wrong. Always wrong. And most of the time, that is what we also follow. You see, that John the Revelator said he saw one angel, mighty, one of his legs was standing on the sea and one on the earth. And when he, and people think that literally there is an angel standing like that with his left leg on the sea and right leg on the earth. Don't you know that it's a symbolism and it has what it means? When we tell you to abode ogu nsuneni na daache wonsabeka. What if a bread never kogu nsuneni? Na chain wait for the future and see if the bread will come back to you. You you die there. <laughs> no bread work. <laughs> Say, cast thy bread upon the waters. <laughs> now I, I could be first of all, I could all bread. So oh, Bible say the Bible says we should cast. <laughs> You see, we, we shouldn't be so literal when it comes to some of these things. We will never understand some prophetic. That is the reason why many churches don't even go to end times at all. 
They won't even touch it. Every Sunday and Friday will come and jump. God is gonna bless you. Amen. Somebody saw yeah. Still without any understanding. I'm not saying it is not it is good. All those things we do to pull down certain strongholds and release the blessings of God and other things. But that's not all that we need. The first thing you need in your Christian work with God is to be firmly grounded in doctrine. Very important. Are you listening to me? That is why, you see, one of the assignments that God gave me is to teach. And I, I love to teach doctrines because it helps the believer. There is something that will make you strong. Even if you don't have money. There is something that will let you conquer the enemy. Even if you don't travel. There is, you get what I'm trying to say? Your foundation in, in the doctrines of Christ is actually your defense and your security in times of trouble. That is what the Bible said. In the last days, the Spirit speaks expressly that many shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and the doctrines of devils. So you need to first be grounded in doctrine. And when it comes to doctrine, we are not talking about what your church believes. We are actually talking about what the scriptures are saying. We're not talking about, hey, in this church, we don't wear trousers. If you're a lady and you wear trousers, you, 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 can't, you can't be in this church. It means you are going to hell. I'll, I'll wear trousers and come. I say, lady. Hmm. Are you? <laughs> I'm telling you. I'll, I'll, I'll come. Say, don't add any other hair to your hair. If you do so, what, what, add nonsense. Huh? Someone died on the cross. The, the sins of the whole world came upon him. And just your wake destroyed all that. The, oh, you are not serious. What are you telling me? One week can make the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of nullify. One week. Where did you get that doctrine from? If you paint your fingernails, acrylic, you are going to hell. Somebody should come and stand before me and say that thing. <laughs> Hallelujah. You see, we are spiritual people. We have understanding into the dark world and what Satan does against the people of God. Are you listening to me? We know you can buy a certain wig and the moment you put the wig on, your life can start being monitored. The moment you put that wig on, you can, you can lose certain precious things. Satan can attack your life. They can put a certain health problem on you because the wig itself has already been programmed in the kingdom of darkness. Not all wigs, but some of them. 
That is why when you want to go and buy wig, at least be spiritual. Some people you go to their shops for them to braid your hair. Right after doing that, sometimes you lose your memory. You study, it doesn't work. You do it, you see? Because some of these fingers that are always braiding your hair are not always right. Some of them have been dipped in blood. We understand some of these things. This one is not talking about heaven and hell that you put a wake on, you go to hell. Nobody should come and tell me that nonsense. And I know that some of you, you are in a church that preaches that. So as I'm telling you this, Christ, you're saying, what I'm saying there is, it means I am a false teacher. I'm not from God. Thank you. I'm from your brother-in-law. Did that one to an insult? <laughs> I'm sure you know where I'm from. Right now that you've been able to declare that I'm not from God. God's peace. Did you ever see Moses wearing trousers before? In fact, you let's go to the side of the women. In the times of old, there was nothing even like trousers. There was a slight difference between the garments of women and that of the men. A slight difference. Because all of them were just overall. But there was a slight difference. And even that is the old covenant. We are in a new covenant, oh, people of God. Some, some, some people say, don't eat pork. If you eat pork, you are going to hell. I can decide I will not eat pork. Maybe because I don't like the way the, that animal is dirty. Are you getting the point? Or maybe sometimes the Holy Ghost will tell you, no, per the pathway of destiny that I'm giving to you, don't eat pork. It's not a general thing. He told me alone. Somebody will eat pork and he will never have any problem with the Holy Ghost and with God. Some, somebody said, if so, there are some people who just two, two people are against you and you want to give up your life. Go, go to the pig kingdom. <laughs> a whole church, SD, a whole church, Seventh day Adventist. They hate pigs, but they are still working about. Hallelujah. So you need to understand some of these basic things, people of God. Amen. So the dimension of Jesus as a lamb is for the fulfillment of the law and the creation of the new covenant. Are you following
good. Now, if that is so, then we should understand that in the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ, all the things that John wrote were in visions and in revelations. Is that not so? Everything he actually wrote down, he saw it in a vision. And the Bible said, the angel of the Lord signified it unto him. So that those things were revealed to him in signs and in symbols. That is why John was saying certain things like, and I saw his face like, I saw his eyes like. Are you getting it? So last Sunday, I made a statement that, let's say I am seeing a dove in a vision. And right next to me, a friend of mine is also seeing a physical dove flying in front of him. Are we all not seeing doves? Good. But are these two doves the same? Why are they not the same? So we both were seen differently. So when you see a physical dove flying, the only thing that might come to your mind is, ah, this dove is beautiful, wow. But when I see a dove in a vision, I'll just say, Lord, what are you trying to tell me, Lord? Grant me, you see? I'm trying to look for something else because I know what I'm seeing is not just literal as it is. It has a meaning behind it. So why is it that we, we see things written in the book of Revelation and we don't look for interpretation but we take it literal as it is. Let me just bring this controversial point. <laughs> then we close. Hallelujah. There are so many views in eschatology in the end times. We have four main four main end time views. The first one, we call those people futurists or the futurism view. They believe that all Bible prophecies are yet to be fulfilled in the future. Then we have preterists or the preterism view. They believe and in the preterism view we have two dimensions. We have the full preterist and the partial preterist. The full preterist believe that all Bible prophecies have already been fulfilled. And the partial preterist believe that some have been fulfilled but some are yet to be fulfilled. Then we have what we call the historicism. This historicism group of people, they believe that all Bible prophecies are linked to things or events in history. And sometimes they even link it to certain people. They are the ones who normally say certain things like, Obama was the beast. <laughs> in fact, they said it was George Bush. When he left and Obama came, they said it's now Obama. All because they were all having a car. And the name of the car is the beast. 
And when Obama left and Donald Trump came, they said Donald Trump is the beast. Now Donald Trump is gone. Joe Biden has come. They are saying Joe Biden is the beast. Who actually is the beast? That is what the, the historists or the historicism group of people, they believe. They link Bible prophecies to events. And because of that, they have progressive, let me say, futuristic view of Bible prophecies. But then they are also connected to history. Are you getting it? Then we have what we call the idealism view. Now the idealism view believe that all Bible prophecies are not literal. They are symbolic. So for example, when we read the book of Revelation chapter 20, the Bible spoke of Jesus coming to rule for thousand years with the saints. Now, futurists will mostly see this thousand years to be normal, literal thousand years that we count. One, two, three, four, five, seven, thousand. Like the way we are in 2023. It's a 2023 years. There are people who believe it is just the literal thousand. But then, the idealism people believe that the thousand is not literal because John saw it in a vision and it is a symbol of something. So they mostly link it to this point. What Peter said, that thousand years is just like a day before God. <laughs> so if that is so, is Jesus going to reign with the believers for one day? Or what? And a thousand years of reign is normally known as the millennium in theology. The millennium. The millennium means thousand years. Thousand years. Are you getting the point? Now these are the basic things. that we need to come to the point of understanding. So now, whenever you read any verse of scripture and it looks like it is talking about the end times, don't quickly push it into the future. Relax. Try and decode the verse very well to know whether it is talking about covenantal eschatology or personal eschatology or cosmic eschatology. I hope you have understood those three things. Now, there is a group of people who believe that as Christians as we are right now, the only next thing we are waiting for is the rapture. Where Jesus will descend and Christians will secretly be raptured. And in fact, they, 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 they don't even say all Christians. It says some Christians will be raptured secretly. 
to go and meet with the Lord. And according to them, when we meet with the Lord, the Lord will take us to heaven. And the moment we go to heaven with the Lord, right from that moment, seven years after that moment, there will be a serious tribulation. Sufferings will happen on earth. Even the Christians who couldn't go, who were left behind, will go through the tribulation. They will suffer. And even the tribulation, they have divided it into two. They said the tribulation is seven years. So the first three and a half years is just a normal tribulation. But the last or the second three and a half years is actually what we call the great tribulation because at that time, the tribulation will be very tough. And after the seven years of tribulation, Jesus will come again. And this time around, when he's coming, he's coming with the saints that he raptured into heaven. And when he comes, he's coming to reign with the Christians on earth for a thousand years. And that is what they call the millennium. But before Jesus comes at that time, Satan will be bound and will be thrown into the bottomless pit for the thousand years that Jesus will come and reign with us. So for those thousand years that Jesus is reigning with the believers, Satan will be bound. But after the thousand years, Satan will be loosed again for a little season. And Satan will go and deceive the nations again to fight against the believers then they will all go and meet under a certain valley called the Valley of Al-Megiddo. And the battle that they would gather themselves to fight with the believers is known as the, the War of Armageddon. And whilst they are prepared to fight all of a sudden, Jesus will come back again. And he will capture Satan and all the other nations he deceived and all the people who are about to fight the believers and throw all of them into the lake of fire. Now, when you look at this view of eschatology, how many times will Jesus come? Like three times, no, no. Meanwhile, the Bible only told us of the, the next coming of Jesus as the, the appearing of the Lord Jesus the second time. That is the only appearing that he's coming. The second time. He came for the first time to fulfill a mission and is coming for the last time, which is the second coming. He's not coming three times. Because according to them, he will come and rapture us and take us to heaven. Meanwhile, the Bible did not say that. The Bible even said, when Jesus descends with, this, with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the last trumpet call of God, the dead that are in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain. That means even the coming of Jesus will meet certain people who will still be alive on earth. And all those people will not only be Christians. There will be unbelievers who will live and they will see Jesus descending. So 
Christians who are dead will rise. Now, the question that I asked was that, where are the dead Christians right now? Where are the dead Christians? of us don't know what we are talking about here. The place has become quiet. When a believer dies, where does he or she go? This one is an assignment. Hey, okay, let me ask you a simple question. Where is Paul? Paul the Apostle, where is he? You are telling me Paul is in heaven, and when Christians die there, they will not go to heaven. Is that what you are telling me? Somebody says Abraham's bosom. What is Abraham's bosom? <laughs> we learned this in church the other time. <laughs> when we're talking about death and the afterlife, we will talk about that one too. But then I'll I'll release all the messages. So. Abraham's bosom. Do you know that the, the, the term Abraham's bosom is found in, in the scripture once? Hope you know that. Once, I think in the book of Luke 16, and it was Jesus Christ just giving a narration. He said, there was a rich man who was clothed in fine linen and a purple garment. Very important to you take notice of these descriptions. And this rich man was eating plenty nice food. And in fact, there was also a poor man by the name Lazarus. Why didn't he mention the name of the rich man? But when he came to Lazarus, he mentioned Lazarus' name. And for your information, this Lazarus is actually not the friend of Jesus. I'm talking about Martha's brother. That is not the Lazarus Jesus is talking about here. Are you listening to me? And 
that is our problem. Many of us think it is that same Lazarus. No, you will get it wrong. So these two people, the rich man and Lazarus, they were actually two figures of speech that Jesus was actually using to explain something. And that is the reason why you don't take the things that Jesus said literally or you will will miss something heavy. If you read the whole context, you actually understand what Jesus was trying to say. So a certain rich man, clothed in white, fine linen, and a purple garment. This is actually letting you know that this one is a king priest. A priest that is a king. That was actually their garment. Are you getting it? So he's actually talking about somebody who is connected to the very commonwealth of Israel. A a proper Jew. A proper Jew. That is what he's talking about. Then he said, A poor man by name Lazarus. The Bible said, The rich man died. He said, The poor man died, and angels took him. Let us read. Luke 16 verse 19 said there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fed sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. When you go into Jewish history, you will know that Martha's brother, Lazarus, was not a beggar. (laughs) Are you following? He's not the one that Jesus is talking about here. Then he said, This Lazarus was laid at the gate full of souls, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Verse 22, And it came to pass that the beggar died, and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Verse 23, and in hell he lift up his eyes being in torment and sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom <laughs> now let's stay here and decode what is what is there Why? So we are now going to understand the, the man who was clothed in purple and fine linen. Now we have just understood that that man is a proper Jew, a, a Jew. So the Jesus is actually talking about Jews. Then he's also making mention of a beggar who is called Lazarus. Why did he use the name Lazarus? So when you look at this, at this context, we have Two names here, Lazarus and Abraham. Lazarus and Abraham. Now, Lazarus is actually the Greek form 
of the Hebrew word Eliezer. So if you have your Bible, the Strong's numbers, and you take the name Lazarus in Luke 16 verse 20, it says, whom God helps. And he said, a form of the Hebrew name Eliezer. So Lazarus actually is a Greek form of the Hebrew name Eliezer. So when you say Lazarus, you have actually said Eliezer. Are you, are you following? And they all have the same meaning. Whom God helps or the help of God. Are you listening to me? Good. Now, once you get to know that the name Lazarus in the Hebrew rendition is Eliezer, then you should know why God is linking Lazarus to Abraham. Because in the book of Genesis chapter 15, this is a man by name Abraham. This man had a lot of things, plenty sheep, plenty goat, plenty cattle, a lot of things, but he had no son. Nobody who inherit all these things. But he had a certain servant, a slave who was not actually a Jew. And the name of the slave was Eliezer in the book of Genesis 15. When we read verse 1 downwards, the Bible said, Some time later, a message came from the Lord to Abraham in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abraham replied, Lord God, what can you give me since I continue to be childless? And the heir of my household is Eliezer from Damascus. (laughs) Then listen to what God said. God said, look. Abraham said, you haven't given me any offspring. So a servant born in my house is going to be my heir. A message came from the Lord to him again. This one will not be your heir. Instead, the child who will be born to you will be your heir. Now, this is the message that was given to Abraham. So Eliezer there is actually talking about Gentiles. Someone who is not part of the commonwealth of Israel. And the man, the rich man, clothed in fine linen and purple, purple garment, is talking about a Jew. And now, Abraham, Abraham's bosom is actually talking about the inheritance that Abraham will give. So now, if the thing is actually talking about whether a Jew or a Gentile, who is actually going to inherit Abraham's promises or the promises that God made to Abraham who is actually going to inherit now you see the Jews were so they were were just proud of themselves that they are descendants of Abraham physically they were full of themselves exactly so they thought that no matter the matter they are going to inherit all the promises what Jesus is trying to say here is that the Jews, if they misbehave, the Gentiles will actually be the ones who will inherit the promise that God 
made to Abraham. Are you following? In fact, the time came, Jesus made a certain statement. In the book of Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, this is, I think, John the Baptist, when he was, he was about baptizing the people. John, Matthew chapter 3, verse 7 downwards. He said, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. Then listen to what he said in verse 9. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. <laughs> For I say unto you that God is able of God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. He said, and don't presume you can get away with merely saying to yourselves. But we are Abraham's descendants. For I tell you, God can awaken these stones to become sons of Abraham. Mm. That, is, that was a heavy statement to the people. So what the people were actually, you know, all the time bragging with is that Abraham is our father. Abraham is our father. Now John the Baptist is telling them, don't even say to yourself, don't think of it. They are saying Abraham is our father. God can raise even stones to become Abraham's children. And the people said, what? What is this young man saying? So this whole context of Lazarus, Abraham's bosom, and the rich man, is actually speaking about the kingdom inheritance. the inheritance of the promise of a, that God made to Abraham. So what then is Abraham's bosom? <laughs> I think right now all your theology has been messed up. That is why if you don't study the scriptures by letting scripture interpret scripture, you put a lot of things in the Bible that are not originally in there. And that would distort your understanding of the scriptures. Are you, are you following? I'm telling you, some of us, our problem is uh, we try to chip in our tradition and the civilization of this world into the Bible. And we keep missing it. We keep missing it. May the Lord help all of us and grant us grace. Do you know that if the Israelites had actually believed Jesus to be the true Messiah, God would have found a different way to win all of us to himself. There would have been a different way altogether. 
But then their rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ gave us the first chance. So now the Lazarus, the Eliezer, which we are, who were not part of the commonwealth of Israel, right now we have actually received. And this is what the Israelites didn't know. They didn't know that God had this plan from the foundations of the world, that he would bring all people together. And he was just going to start the, the putting together of all people with them, and not that they were the only people of God. So the other time when we were studying, Paul told us that a true Israel is not the one who has been born by an, a natural Israel or somebody who is originally a Jew, but a true Israel is someone who has believed in Christ. This will now also bring us into the book of Hebrews 8, when God said, I'm going to establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. What is God talking about? Is it the nation Israel? Now, when the Bible speaks of Israel, we should have a deeper understanding of it. It is not the nation Israel here. When we say Israel, I have a message on the Israel of God. Go and study it. You will know. So you know that once you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have become an Israelite. Israel, you've been an Israelite does not mean you are from the nation Israel here. No. Israel is higher than what we think it is. Are you following? Israel actually is Jesus. It's as simple. I think I've, when, when I was talking about the Israel of God, I explained how God called the Israel his firstborn. And he calls Jesus his firstborn. How God brought Israel out of Egypt. And how when Herod wanted to kill Jesus, God told Joseph and Mary to take Jesus to Egypt. And after Herod died, God said, come back. Come out of Egypt and go back to your land. So that what the prophet Hosea said will be fulfilled. That out of Egypt I have called my son. So when Jesus was also being moved out of Egypt back to Bethlehem, it was a fulfillment of what happened when the Israelites were moving from Egypt to the promised land. Everything that Jesus came to do was actually what Israel, the Israelites did naturally. So Jesus, when Jesus says he's a fulfillment of all the law and the prophet, we should understand. The Israelites didn't know that when the time was due for God to take them out of Egypt and that God told them to use the blood of a lamb to smear their doorpost so that when the angel of death enters, he will pass over. They didn't know that the lamb they were using its blood was actually Jesus. And later he's going to be a Passover lamb that through his blood will be saved from death. They didn't know this one. So everything that Israel did was actually a shadow of what Jesus was going to fulfill. If you understand the scriptures in this light, I don't know why you should be confused again. Are you getting it? May the Lord help us. The place has become quiet. Hey, who are those sleeping? We are closing. It's okay. God bless you. May the Lord bless all of us and grant us grace. 
in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. All right. All right. Please, God willing, tomorrow evening around 8 p.m., I'm going to meet all sons and daughters. We are going to um, talk on the sons and daughters WhatsApp platform tomorrow evening around 8 p.m. I'm going to meet all the sons and daughters. So make sure if you're a son, if you're a daughter, make sure you become active on the sons and daughters WhatsApp platform tomorrow from 5 p.m. there. I will let us know some few things before we meet. Hallelujah. May the Lord bless all of us. You know, there will be no morning glory tomorrow. Tomorrow is Tuesday, so let's take note. May the Lord favor us and grant us grace in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. May the Lord be with you. May he empower you. Come loyalty. I pray that the favor of God will rest on you. This new age that God is launching you into, I speak in Jesus' precious mighty name. The blessings all over. Receive divine help to accomplish the mission of destiny. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. My dear sister, my dear God bless you. God bless you and favor you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Justin said, I have a question. Okay, Justin, you ask your question before we close. Ask your question before we close. Hallelujah. But then please, it is only Justin that is asking the question. Moving for being to us. Oh, man of God, just um, a little, um, no little. Hallelujah. All right, the Lord bless us and favor all of us in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. If you feel led by the Spirit of God to release any seed, the number is 0240312551. If you want to support the church project, if you want to support the church project, the number is 0556050452. 0556050452. God bless you. Chairman, Chairman. The chairman general said, I have a testimony. I got my steady permit to Canada. He prophesied that a woman was blocking me, but thanks be to God, I got it. Wow. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Okay. Justin said, okay, please, in the book of Mark, Luke, and Matthew, why are the accounts of how Jesus resurrected different? It is based on how it's like three people writing about something they also even though they all saw the thing they will give different accounts that is what they saw are you getting it it is actually as a result of perspectives that is why we put everything together so what this one couldn't write the other one will write they are all true are you getting it? Exactly. All right, the Lord bless us and favor us in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. Right after here, I'm going to upload the message. You can go and download it. May the Lord bless you. We shall meet. Shalom. Bye-bye. Rain, Jesus, rain. Rain, Jesus, rain. King of Zion, Judah's lion, rain. Jesus.
Can compare to you, Jesus. The 